Come with me to Genesis chapter 11. We're talking about a supernatural lifestyle and keys to a supernatural lifestyle. And we're going to talk about a major one, a major key, I believe, today. Something I've found in my own life, for sure, that is absolutely essential if you want to have a supernatural lifestyle as opposed to a supernatural once in a while. <laughs> right? So we're talking about having supernatural events taking place in our life. On a consistent basis. Now, this is not going to seem like it's going to tie in very well, but trust me, I'll, I'll bring it together for you. So let's just read the scriptures and then we'll, we'll talk. Genesis 11, it says, Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let us bake bricks. Let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now come with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and we're going to see the reversal of Babel on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of them began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. And because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these uh, who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So the first thing I want you to see first principle from Genesis chapter 11 is the incredible potential that humanity has when we come together in a place of unity with one language, speaking the same thing. Because God himself comes down and says, anything they desire to do, they're going to be able to accomplish it. Now, the key, though, to that unity was they all spoke the same language. So language was the key to the unity, right? And... When we get to Pentecost, they're all together in one place and in one accord. And there's a miracle of languages again. And I think we've wrongly thought that they were speaking earthly languages that everybody understood. But that's not actually what the text says. The text says they were speaking in tongues and everybody heard them speaking in their own language. Didn't say they were speaking in those languages. It said everybody heard them in their own language. That means that everybody who spoke different languages heard everybody in their language. So there was something more supernatural going on than just them speaking. Yes. Now, I'm going to share a little bit with you how how I came into this stuff that we do. (laughs) share with you a little bit of my own journey. And as I was reflecting on it and thinking about it, you know, it it dawned on me that every family, probably every family, come on, every family has that member of the family or maybe a few members of the family that are just a little off. Like the crazy uncle. You know what I'm talking about? Like we have one in our family. Every family has one. Okay, let's do it this way. If you don't know who that is in your family, who the one that's a little off is, if if you're sitting there scratching your head thinking, who, our family doesn't have anybody like that, you need to look no further than in the mirror. 
to find out who's off in your family. I'm just saying. Right? And so for a lot of the church, now I'm going to use the term Pentecostal. When I say Pentecostal, I'm not talking about a denomination or even a movement. I'm talking about the experience of Pentecost in the upper room with the outpouring of the Spirit and speaking in tongues, all right? So I'm, I'm using it as a biblical reference to talk about us, not necessarily am I picking on a movement or a denomination. Everybody clear about that? But let's just be honest. For a lot of our brethren, Pentecostals and Charismatics are kind of like that weird uncle. Now, it wasn't always this way, because actually, in the beginning, everybody talked in tongues. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, they all spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It didn't say some of them did. It said, in fact, Luke is stressing the unity of the passage. He's saying they're all in one place. They're all in one accord. They all get filled with the Spirit. They all spoke with tongues. So in the beginning, you weren't the weird uncle. You weren't the strange member of the family if you talked in tongues. But it's not really that way anymore. And I, I know this because the way I came into the experience myself. See, I, I've told you before, I was raised in a Methodist church. And in the Methodist church, if you went two minutes past 12, if you're the pastor and the board ran the church, and we started at 11 o'clock, and I always sat in the back with my friends and, I don't know, shot spitwads or whatever it is that you do in the back with your friends when you got 30 people in your Methodist church in Avondale, Colorado. But uh, if you went two minutes, thank God. You know, I appreciated the elders in that church because if you went two minutes past 12 and you're the pastor, you got a talking to <laughs> and, you, and you had to pay them back two minutes the next week. You know, if you went five minutes over, you had to pay them back five minutes the next week. And the, the, So I like those people because... I didn't like my church experience very much, but we sang hymns. We were, we were very respectable. We were very, can I just say it? Can, can I just say it? We were very white. We were white people. We were respectable white people that went to the white Methodist church building in Avondale, Colorado, and we did our white thing. Very respectable. Right? I mean, because Dawn told me, we were talking the other day, and she said, I grew up in church. I grew up, you know, three hours in church, and then we'd go eat, and then we'd come back, we'd do it again. And I wonder, you know, what, what would that be like? Because for me, it was like, oh, I mean, you know, it was like, anyway. All right. Back to the strange uncle. So, so anyway, things happened in my life. I ended up going off to college. I have no interest in giving my life to the Lord, but anyway, without going into how I, that happened, uh, I end up... I leave in August, and by October, I meet this group of guys. They go to this Assembly of God church, right? Which I didn't know Assembly of God from Church of God from anything. In fact, I had one friend, uh, the Assembly of God. I had another friend, Church of God. The friends at the Assembly of God, supposedly they spoke in tongues. I never heard it when I was there, but supposedly they did. I at least knew that. And then my Church of God friend, he told me, the quickest way you go to hell is speaking in tongues. And I didn't know Church of God from Assembly of God. But I had this friend... And we were developing this, this um, sort of a close friendship. And he was very committed to his relationship with the Lord. And so my first exposure to anything about tongues was he gives me a book about speaking in tongues. And I'm reading this book, and it's talking about this phenomenon, and it's going through all the different verses and things in the Bible, and, and I'm doing okay. And then I get to this chapter, and, and because I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around why would this be something from God? This weird thing that our weird uncle does in the family. How, how could this be God, right? And, and I finally get to this chapter that explains it. This is why God, because, because it was clear as I was reading the book that when, you know, these Pentecostals are speaking in tongues, they don't understand what it is that they're saying. Now, I don't know about you, but for me at that time, I thought that was a little scary. That I would have words coming out of my mouth that I would not understand. And I couldn't, like, what's the point of it? Right? So they get to explaining the point. You know what they say? They say tongues is a language that you cannot understand because it is a secret code language between you and God. They say it's a, it's a code language because when you're praying in tongues, the devil cannot understand what you're saying. And then even go on to imply that if you're praying in English, you can mess it up. See, I did not know this. 
Because in the Methodist church, we did not talk about the devil. We did not talk about demons. So I wasn't even sure that they existed, but now I'm finding out that they have their own intelligence agency. They have James Bond hanging around and, 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 and listening to what you're saying. And you're, if you say it in a language they can understand, they're going to go, you know, the intelligence is going to get back to headquarters in hell, and then all hell's going to break loose, and it's going to get all messed up. But God's one up on them. You know, He says, okay, we'll come up with our own code, we'll come up with our own secret language, and they won't be able to bust our communications. And I'm like, this makes no sense to me. If God is God, I mean, come on, really? So, yeah, kind of lost some credibility with me at that point. I thought, they're the strange uncle. You have them around Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, but we talk about them when they're not around. <laughs> and we just, you know, whatever. So... I, that never went anywhere. So then I, I was going to Adam State at the time. I come back and I end up going to uh, Taco Tech. That's um, what we called it. Uh, it's CSU now, but it's University of Southern Colorado. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a native. I'm a local. I can talk. You know, I'm from Pueblo. It was Taco Tech. Come on, come on. Can I get a witness in here? You guys got to help me out. I'm sorry if you find that offensive. It's just, I'm just sharing my story. Really, I'm not trying to offend anybody. And I'm interested in religion, so I take philosophy of religion with Dr. Driscoll. And Dr. Driscoll gets to the part where he's talking about charismatic and Pentecostals. We had a whole class on Pentecostals. And he shows us this video that was like made in the 1960s or something. It was a documentary, and it was called Holy Ghost People. The Holy Ghost People. So I'm like, okay, cool. So they, they put them on, the Holy Ghost people. I went back to watch it this week just to refresh my memory a little bit. And yeah, it was pretty much like I remember. It starts out basically like one of our services would start out. You got, you got worship. You got people raising their hands. You got a few people, you know, here and there scattered. And then they focus on the guy speaking in tongues. So then, you know, there's the crazy uncle speaking in tongues. And I'm, I'm like, oh, Okay, yeah, this, this sounds like what I was reading in the book. And then I was totally unprepared for what happened next. Totally unprepared. Because I did not know that Holy Ghost people kept rattlesnakes in their church. Because in the very next scene, they pull out a whole bunch of rattlesnakes. And start handling these rattlesnakes. And they're quoting scripture. They're quoting a scripture from Mark 16 that says, These signs will follow them that believe. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And the next thing I know, they're interviewing this guy and he says, the sign of a true believer. The sign of a true believer is that they will speak in tongues. The sign of a true believer is that they're able to take up serpents. So we bring serpents to test everybody's faith. And if they're not in a biting mood, don't worry. We have, I kid you not, this is a real thing. If they're not in a biting mood, we have some strychnine that Brother Jones brought. Brother Jones brought the strychnine and we're going to mix up some strychnine and we're going to drink it so that we can prove our faith. And these are the Holy Ghost people. And I'm like, I knew there was something wrong. I didn't know about the rattlesnakes, but I knew there was something wrong with these Holy Ghost people. And so I walked out of there, I said, that's crazy uncle. Right? So, I'm going along fine. I'm friends with my friend who says, you know, quickest way to get to hell is to speak in tongues. And I thought, well, serpents, garden, maybe he's on to something. And then I, 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 I meet some people, and 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 so this this girl that I'm going to school with invites me to a prayer meeting on the east side. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go to this prayer meeting. And again, at our prayer meetings, we just you know you went around a circle. Each person kind of said their prayer. Amen. Where's the donuts? Right. That's Methodist prayer meeting. And we pray for all the sick, and we pray for world hunger. Amen. Let's eat. And and I'm in the basement of St. Leander's Church. And there's this group of people, 
And it's really nice, and we have this nice little Bible study and whatever, and then there's this guy there with his guitar, and we're singing songs, and it's kind of reminding me of church camp. I'm thinking, yeah, this, this feels like church camp. I'm, I'm okay. I can do this. I had never stepped foot in a Catholic church. So here I am in the basement of the Catholic church. So then the next thing I know, they say, we're going to pray. And I'm like, okay. So we get in a circle. We hold hands. I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable. This is how we did it in the Methodist church. And then all of a sudden, every single one of them all at the same time starts speaking in tongues. And I'm like, and I'm feeling like the odd man out because I'm not speaking in tongues. And, and I open my eyes and I peek because I'm wondering, Where's the rattlesnakes? You know, like, 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 are the rattlesnakes coming out next? And should should I not have drunk the punch? That they, because they, they, they... they start saying we're Holy Ghost people, you know. And I open my eyes, and they're just all speaking in tongues, and I'm thinking, how in the world did I get here in the basement of Saint Leander's Church with all these weird people? So that those were, I, I got to think about, those were my, like my first three exposures to speaking in tongues. So, I mean, we're talking about beyond not open to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-uh, this is not for me. So, a few months later, I'm, I'm a lifeguard at the, at the Pueblo Army Depot. It was an Army Depot at the time. It's, I don't know what it is now, they, but anyway. How many remember the, when it was an Army Depot? They've been around. And, and some of you would know, some of you, I think, would know Mary Celia. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, I thought more of you might know. But she, because she was around, you know, all you tongue talkers back in the early 90s. And I taught Mary's kids how to swim. And so Mary would come out, and she's really a really nice lady, and she would bring us cookies and all kinds of different stuff. And I'll never remember, I mean, I'll never forget the first thing she said to me. I, I told her I was a Christian. She said she was a Christian. She said, oh, that's nice, honey. She says, is your church spirit-filled? Do they speak in tongues there? I'm like, you're one of those Holy Ghost people, aren't you? <laughs> no interest. Now, that's changed. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. So, there's no rattlesnakes, though, I promise you. No strict nines. But my biggest obstacle, as I'm going through this whole thing, I'm thinking to myself, why, what is this? And if this is biblical, which it seemed to be, that, you know, they would show me the scriptures for it, and it would seem to be biblical, and I would think, why would God do this? I mean, this makes no sense to me. It's bad enough that I feel like I don't fit into the world because I'm a Christian. Now I've got to be the crazy uncle Christian. You know? I mean, like, I just don't get it. And so, I think part of it has to do, if you go back and you look at the Tower of Babel, the key to unlocking their potential was unity, and the key to their unity was found in language. Right? The key to their unity was found in language. Because, because here's the thing. When you're speaking the same language with someone, let's just take it out of the realm of speaking tongues. Let's go back and think about the Tower of Babel. When you're speaking the same language, there is an equilibrium that is created. There is, a, there is a balance. In other words, there's no opposing forces. This is an amazing thing to think about, that there was a time when humanity was united, when humanity was one. There was a time when there was no racism, when there was no religious division, when there was no war. If we believe the Bible, then there was a time at Babel that the entire world was united. And they were united because, one of the reasons, we're told, the main reason that's highlighted is because they're united in language. And so, because they're speaking the same language, they have the potential to create something that allows them to do the impossible. The problem is, is, and it's interesting, the patterns in Genesis, is you read Genesis, the further east, every time it says they went eastward, it's, it's really, it's a metaphor for them moving away from the presence of God. 
See, in our Christian teaching, we're taught that the fall happens in the garden. But if you were Jewish, you would be taught that the fall happens from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 11. That the fall doesn't happen in the garden, the fall begins in the garden, and it culminates at the Tower of Babel. And so you see that, that they are, they're, they're moving eastward away from the garden, they're moving further and further away from the presence and the purposes of God, but also from the language of the Spirit. So that they come together in unity, but they come in together in a unity that's in direct opposition to the mind of God. See, God says, as long as they're of one mind, every purpose and plan that they have, they'll be able to accomplish. The problem was, the purpose and the plans that they had were not in line with the purpose and plans that God had. So therefore, this is amazing to think about. God says, we need to come down and do something before their potential gets released to the point, I think this is what the Scripture says, till their potential gets released to the point that we can't stop it. So what does He do? He comes down and He confuses their language. He touches them at the place of language, in order to break down the fulfillment of their potential. I'm going to say that again. He touches them at the place of their language in order to oppose humanity from fulfilling their potential in opposition to His plans and purposes. Does that make sense? So they become scattered at the Tower of Babel. And then we begin to see people fighting and wars and stuff like that. So you fast forward several millennium, millennia, whatever the plural of that is. And you have a new group that has come together. You read Acts chapter 2, the emphasis is on unity. They were all in one place. They were all in one accord. They all spoke in tongues. They were all filled with the Spirit. There were certain Jews, all of them came together to hear them, and all of them heard them speaking in their native language. So it's introducing, it's reintroducing that principle of unity and that principle of harmony, right? But the difference is, is that God is in the midst of this, not separate from it. See, at the Tower of Babel, God was separate from it. God's over here somewhere, and they're moving eastward away from the presence of God, and they're unifying, but God's not in it. When you get to Acts chapter 2, now there's a unity that God Himself begins to invade with His presence. A unity that God Himself begins to invade with His power. A unity that God Himself says, now I can hook up with this. In other words, uh, the, the idea of unity could also be an idea of equilibrium. Everybody say, just say equilibrium. Now, equilibrium is a scientific term for a situation where opposing forces have come to rest. So, if a car, I'll give you a simple example. If your car is parked, your car is said to be, by the law of physics, in a state of equilibrium. Because it's at rest. But now also, if your car is moving at the same speed, so it's going 55 down the highway or 75 down the highway, and it's consistently staying at 75, it is also said to be in a state of equilibrium. Because opposing forces have balanced. Right? And we could describe that as rest. So when Jesus gets baptized Himself in the Jordan River by the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures tell us very plainly that the Holy Spirit uh, descended upon Jesus and did what? Rested upon Him. So for the first time in the person of Jesus, there is an equilibrium between divinity and humanity so that, so that really divinity and humanity can participate together and collaborate together so that God is accessing the unlimited potential that is in humanity. At the same time, humanity or the human Jesus is accessing the unlimited potential that is in God. See, the problem was not the man would have unlimited potential at the Tower of Babel through their unity. The problem was not the unity. The problem was that God had no access to that potential. 
But Pentecost is different. Because at Pentecost, there's a unity that's formed now out of a new humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. In the Greek, the word for new there means something that never before existed. It means a brand new creation. So in other words, the church really is a new species. It is a new humanity. It is a new race that never before existed. It goes beyond what humanity ever was. So that there is greater potential inside of you. See, if, if I could, if we could just see who we are, it's like, it's like I can hear Father uh, calling from heaven. It's, it's almost like I can see God looking out over the precipice of heaven and looking down upon us as believers and looking down upon us as His sons and daughters and His family. And it's like the Trinity is having a conversation with the angels and saying if they could, if we could only get them to see who they are, if we could only get them to start believing in themselves, if we could only get them to stop identifying with their failures and their shame and the lusts of their flesh and the things that, that are still, you know, not quite in equilibrium yet, but it doesn't matter because I'm telling you, the greatest potential in the entire universe is, is the believing church. We should not be trailing behind humanity. We should be forerunners that are a prophetic company out in front of humanity. We should be a people who are, who are celebrating human potential and are all about unlocking human potential, but not unlocking it outside of Christ. Actually, the new creation has access to divine potential. You are a divine humanity. You are, that's why they call you, the Bible, sons and daughters of God. God has inserted Himself, if you will, into your DNA and created something that didn't exist before. You have tremendous potential. And God wants to access the potential that's inside of you. And what's even better is God wants you to access the potential that is inside of Him. So that a new equilibrium is reached between divinity and humanity so that we can be what the scripture says co-laborers with God it's not God doing something for us and it's not us doing something for God it's us working together at a principle of equilibrium and unity that is found in the person of Christ that's why the incarnation is so important because in the incarnation God assumed the substance of humanity to himself so so that He could have access to it, and so that you could have access to Him. So that Christ could be the firstborn of a divine species that would be partakers of the divine nature. It's absolutely what the Bible teaches. It's absolutely what your church fathers believed. It's absolutely what's available to us as believers. But the Scripture showing us that what unlocks and releases this incredible potential is the Pentecostal experience. See, without the Pentecostal experience, and without there being the unity of it, and without there being the harmony of it, it won't work. It won't work. You know, the, I've studied the Azusa... How many of you know, have heard of the Azusa Street? Now, when we talk about Assembly of God churches, we talk about... Uh, Church of God in Christ. Uh, we talk about, I don't know, all the different streams that came out of there. But we're talking about a movement that began in the 1900s at Azusa Street. And really, the miracle of Azusa Street was not speaking in tongues, because people were speaking in tongues before Azusa Street. They really were. The miracle of Azusa Street, if you study it, was the unity. Now, keep in mind, this is 1900. And what I think we need to understand, I really think we need to understand this, that as white European people who were beneficiaries of the Reformation that came through Europe, but one of the byproducts of the Reformation was a rejection of everything supernatural. So that as 
white Europeans during the Protestant Reformation, we adopted the same basic principles of enlightenment. So basically, it was a glorified form of humanism that still kept the people of God locked out of the supernatural. So God takes an African slave. Well, he was born of a slave family. He was too too young to have been a slave. But it's 1900, right? Civil War, 1860s, right? So God takes a man, blind in one eye, by the name of William Seymour, who has... There's just something about the African stream of humanity that has preserved a more holistic view of how the world actually operates than what we became the heirs of in enlightenment. So the white guy, I don't know why I'm talking like this. I hope this isn't offensive to people. Charles Parham has a school in Kansas where he's teaching about speaking in tongues, but he won't let William Seymour attend the class because he's black. So William Seymour has to sit outside and listen through the windows and take notes of Charles Parham's sermons. And all the while, there is a, there's a company of women in Los Angeles, California, who are praying for revival. And God touches this man, William Seymour, and he gets on a train and he, he, he goes to this place in Los Angeles and he knocks on the door. The Lord, he was led by the Lord. Supernatural. He was led by the Lord. He knocks on the door and he says, I'm the man that God sent for the revival. And, and the amazing thing about the Pentecostal movement of Azusa Street was not the speaking in tongues. The amazing thing was the incredible unity because you had people from, of every color. You had, you had almost a recapitulation of what you see in Acts chapter two. You had people of every color and, and they had dropped their cultural paradigms. They had dropped their prejudicial paradigms. And, and they had come together, and it was being led by a, 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 a African-American uh, man is leading this movement with incredible signs and wonders and miracles. And it's sweeping up uh, black people and white people and, and brown people and, and yellow people and, and, you know, just all up into this incredible movement of harmony and unity. And I hate to say it, but it was, it was, I mean, I really, I hate to say it, but we gotta know our church history. It, it was, it was angry white people who broke it up. It was angry white people who killed it. And there are some denominations that absolutely were started on racism and segregation. You wanna know why the most segregated group of people on the planet in, in America, or maybe not on the planet, but the most segregated group of people in America that you can find, you find them on Sunday mornings. And the reason is, is because the unity that was begun was stopped because of ancient principalities that, that destabilized the system. But I'm going to tell you, brethren, we cannot as white people hope to recapture the spirit of Azusa and leave African Americans out. We cannot just because we have a following, just because we have a newsletter, and just because we have influence, think that somehow we're going to recapture the spirit of Azusa and leave African Americans out, not give them a voice, not give them a platform, and stand on a platform and curse them because they didn't show up. It ain't going to happen because we're missing the reality of what's supposed to take place. I don't know how I got off on all that. We have to be able to have a conversation in our country about ethnicity, not race. I don't know how many of you know who uh, Bishop Clarence McClendon is, but I heard him this week, and he was addressing the race issue in America. And I, I just, it floored me what he said. He said, I absolutely stood up. It was beautiful. He, he stood up, grooms filled with, with people from all over, different a good mixture of color. And he said, I absolutely refuse to talk about race. 
Now, if you want to talk about ethnicity, I will talk to you about ethnicity. But I'm not going to talk to you about race because race, this is what he said, but it's, I think it's true. Race is an American creation. Did you know that? The idea of race is an American creation. You know why? Because when your founding documents say that all men are created equal, that all people have the right to life, certain unalienable rights, to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the only way you can subjugate a fellow human being is to make them of a different race. And so every time we talk about race, we reinforce a concept that is demeaning and disempowering. So we should be able to talk about color. We should be able to talk about ethnicity. We should be able to talk about experiences. And we need to come to a place as the people of God, that we can embrace our differences without them dividing us. Where we can embrace our differences without them being in opposition to us. Where we can stand up and say the church, you know, they, they, they said America was a melting pot. The church is not a melting pot. The church is a stew. Amen? <laughs> the church is a stew. I want my carrots to taste like carrots. I want my potatoes to taste like potatoes. I want my beef to taste like beef. Amen? And I want to be able to celebrate everybody. And I want to understand that God has put strengths in certain communities. And He's put strengths in, in certain aspects of, of human potential. There, there are aspects of who God is that Africans and African Americans and that my black brothers and sisters, there are aspects of who God is that they, that they demonstrate that are powerful, that are incredible, and that are dynamic. And I want to be able to celebrate that. And I want to be able to embrace that and I want to be able to rejoice in that and I don't want to feel threatened and I don't want them to feel like they have to become like me. And the things I don't understand and the things where that we don't get along, I, I want to work through those things. See, we, we live in a culture that we want to take people's strengths without celebrating their weaknesses. I'm not talking about color anymore. I'm just talking about people in general. We want, to, we want the benefit of their strength without embracing their weaknesses. And God's trying to bring strength into our life and we get hung up on their weaknesses and we trip over their weaknesses and then we throw them away. We cut ourselves off from the strength that is there. Because whether we like to admit it or not, it's still touchy. It's still a touchy issue. And don't think for once, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I want to. The Lord won't let me. Come on, guys. The reality is this. The reality is that we have been programmed against each other. We have been programmed against the move of God. How come the Pentecostal is the crazy uncle? Because watch this. <laughs> Tongues is not that God needs a secret code to override what the devil's trying to do. And tongues is not something that should be stuck in the basement of a church. Because that's what you do with a member of the family that you don't want anybody around. Right? I'm sure the Adams family or the one of those. And just because you speak in tongues doesn't make you some kind of an extremist. The Bible says, you know why you can't understand tongues? The Bible says when you pray in a tongue... Your spirit prays, but your understanding is unfruitful. Why? Because you know what? My understanding is programmed against the ways of God. My understanding 
to, in your understanding, all of us, to a certain degree, is programmed against the unification of humanity. I think it's totally crazy that whenever a Christian talks about getting different branches or streams of Christianity together, that my brethren get suspicious of the New World Order. No, really. I mean, the Pope starts getting with people, and all of a sudden, oh, that's the devil. That's the Antichrist. That's the New World Order. I think somewhere in the Bible, Jesus actually prayed, Father, let them become one, even as we are one. I want to tell you something, right? See, we've been programmed to be suspicious of unity. We've been programmed to be suspicious of progress. We've been programmed to be suspicious of human potential. We're being programmed right now to... to, to, to Listen, I thank God, thank God, I thank God that I get to live in the generation that I get to live in. As a white person in America, I thank God that I get to live in a, in a culture that has been so powerfully impacted by civil rights. And we need to celebrate Martin Luther King as a Christian because it was a Christian vision that, be, that began to break down the, the, the ethnic division in our country and in our culture. And he's absolutely prophesying to the nation. That's why when you listen to him speak, you get goosebumps when you listen to him speak because he was a prophetic voice uh, that, that, that was impacting our nation and, 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 and furthering the trajectory of what God really wants to do, which is bring a group of people together in some kind of Pentecostal unity. But I refuse to pretend that the war is over. And I refuse to pretend as a white person in America that there is not such a thing as white privilege. Because it makes me uncomfortable as a white person. Because what's happening now is principalities and powers are trying to program us in the church to take us backwards, not forwards. So that if the Catholics and the, and the, and the, and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Pentecostals get together, we curse them and say they're part of the New World Order. We allow ourselves to be deceived by the media that just reinforces ancient things that are in our DNA. Do you understand? I'm only two generations removed from active members of the Ku Klux Klan. And the Bible itself speaks of something coming for four and five generations. So, even if it's not in my thinking, even if it's not in my heart, I'm going to tell you something, it's in my DNA. Black lives matter. And I refuse to marginalize the movement by saying every life matters. Is it because every life doesn't matter? No, every life does matter. But do you understand when you do that, you are marginalizing the pain and the cry of a group of people who are best equipped to tell us we're not there yet. I don't agree with everything in the movement. By far, I don't agree with it, but I'm going to tell you something. It's a signal to us, it's a sign to us, and it's a voice to us that says we're still not there. We're still not there. And if we close our heart to it, we allow ourselves to be programmed by our own understanding and not by the Spirit of God. I love you, brethren. I really do. I'm doing the best I can with this. I'm tired of this stuff. Because the reality is, is that God wants to access the full potential of a church that is multi-ethnic. That has resolved their differences. That is willing to celebrate differences while tolerating and embracing weaknesses. So that once again, there can be a company of people in the earth that turn the world upside down.
all I hear, you know, you know what they're saying? They're saying black lives matter. And we're responding as though they're saying only black lives matter. And we marginalize what's happening. They're not saying that. Oh, you think it's not a problem? How, how many of you saw the video? How many of you saw the video? Oh, Jesus. I'm way off tongues. Not really. I'll, I'll bring it back home. How many of you saw the video? The guy in Tampa. There was an uh, autistic gentleman who was, uh, had a toy gun. Uh, not a toy gun. A toy truck. And they call, somebody called the police and said, there's a, there's a, a man... With, with a gun, and he's getting ready to kill himself. So police show up, and the worker from the home that the boy had, uh, actually was more of an adult, that he had escaped from, or gotten away from, was black. And so the video that I saw, they're filming it with their, with their cell phones, and you can see the officers surrounding the situation with their sniper rifles. Which means the person videoing it is further away from the action, if you will, than the police officers. And, the, and this African-American gentleman is on the ground with his hands up like this, and he's describing the situation. He's saying he's, saying he's not armed, it's a toy truck, He's autistic. I'm a licensed therapist who's from the home, and I'm trying to get him to settle down. You can hear all of this. And you can see that what he's holding in his hand is a truck and not a weapon. And this goes on. I think the video I saw was seven or eight minutes long. Now, you would think somebody could put down a weapon and just walk over there and settle the thing down. But they don't. Instead, they shoot the black guy. They shoot the black guy on the ground, hands up like this. I don't know. Five to ten feet away from the threat. And if that's not bad enough, instead of treating him for the wound, they roll him over on the hot pavement and keep him there for 25 minutes while they call an ambulance. And when he asks the sniper, why would you shoot me? They interview the man. He says, I thought, you know, I'd be safe. I'm on the ground. I got my hands up. I'm thinking I'm going to be safe. I'm thinking they're not going to shoot me. And I asked the police officer, why would you shoot me? And the police officer says, I don't know. But we don't have a race problem. In America. <sighs> Come on, guys. We do have a race problem. Oh, sorry, Ray, I'm trying to... I don't want to use that term. I agree with Brother McClendon. <laughs> Frankly, our understanding of situations is our problem. We divide over opinions. We divide over ideologies. We divide over all kinds of stuff of what we think. And yet God loves us so much that He wants to embrace us and access our potential while at the same time we access His. So you know what He does? He inserts a language because unity can only happen biblically when you're speaking the same language. We don't speak God's language of love and He doesn't speak our language of hate. And God is trying to recalibrate humanity towards a new equilibrium where we can manifest ourselves as the divine species. 
So when the Holy Spirit opens up and embraces you and fills you, He inserts Himself in such a way that you and He speak the same language. When you're praying in tongues, who's doing the praying? The Holy Spirit? Or you? Or is it the principle of Babel, the two of you speaking the same language from a place of unity to begin to unlock the potential that's inside you? So that God gives us a gift. Let me say this just one last thing. I got off on this other rabbit trail. We cannot relegate it to the back room and the basement. Because I think we need to understand something. There's something about the power of unity. Don't get triggered. If somebody's getting triggered, I can feel it. Just don't. Just hear me out. Look, it took me... It was a journey to come into this for me. And I had to get to the place. This is a place I had to get to. How did I become a tongue talker? I had to get to the place that I humbled myself and I said, God, I don't want to be that weird uncle. But you know what? I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss out on you. And I don't want to miss out on all that you have for me. And so I had to make a decision. Am I willing to identify, am I willing to sit at the table with my weird uncle in order to engage God in such a way that I could unlock and he could unlock the fullness of what he put inside my life and what he planned for my life. And so I finally got to the point where it was like, I don't care if I was wrong. I don't care if I'm weird. I don't care if people don't like it. I'm choosing to embrace what you're doing more than my previous, more than my understanding. And I started speaking in tongues. But there is a principle of unity of them all speaking with tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. We have misunderstood Paul when he said, if you all come together and you all speak in tongues and there is an unbeliever or an unlearned person there, will they not say you're out of your minds? And we said, and we put a law in the church that says you better not have everybody speaking in tongues all at the same time. And if you have somebody speaking in tongues in the church, there had better be an interpretation. Please, if, that, if you're stuck on that, hung up on that, probably nobody here is. But if you are, please go back and read all of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Please. Because again, Paul is not saying you shouldn't all speak in tongues at the same time in a service. He's not saying that. What he's saying is you should not have a service where all you do is speak in tongues. If all you do is speak in tongues and there's no prophecy, you haven't edified edified the church. If all you do is speak in tongues and there's no revelation, you haven't edified the church. If, If all you do is speak in tongues and there's no teaching, you haven't edified the church. But he never said you shouldn't all speak in tongues. So you know know what I'd love to see recovered? I'd love to see us be able to all come together because there's a synergy that's being created in the atmosphere. There's a synergy that that goes beyond just our own personal edification. And we've got to stop being ashamed of being the crazy uncle in the family. Because there are 500 million people on the planet today that speak in tongues. If you want to say, well, it's just a psychological thing. It's just, it's just some psychological thing they're coming up with. Well, the great Carl Jung disagrees with you. One of the most pioneering psychologists of the 20th century said, investigated speaking in tongues and said it's a transcendent experience. It's not just psychology. 
Dr. Andrew Newberg, who's a current researcher, who is a neuroscientist, who has studied people who speak in tongues with brain imaging, says it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, he, he says it's a transcendent phenomena. And there are parts of the brain that light up, because we're talking about human potential, there are parts of the brain that light up when somebody's speaking in tongues that don't light up any other time. And if you were making it up, your frontal lobe would be involved because that's where all the understanding and, and that stuff comes from. And actually, in the brain imaging, the frontal lobe shuts down because what Paul said, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays and my understanding is unfruitful. They're proving it neurologically. So if you're smarter than those two guys, you can hold on to your opinion. We just throw out excuses. Oh, it's just emotionalism. Oh, it's just psychology. Oh, it's just you don't know what you're talking about. so don't be ashamed to speak in tongues don't be ashamed when we come together in worship when we come together in prayer to to lift your voice up and, and pray in your language because I'm telling you there is something about when we all come together and we all speak in tongues that releases something in the atmosphere and releases something for the kingdom and releases something inside of you and if you think that's going to turn people off then you know get, get a life get a life say I don't want to bring my friend because of my strange uncle and I don't know what he's going to do I think Jesus said somewhere, if you're ashamed of me and my words before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. I am not ashamed to speak in tongues. I am not ashamed to be the weird uncle. And I'm not about to try to, I want to stoke the fire because I'm telling you that we are in such a state in this country that we need something of God in this country. We need a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Human potential, listen to me, human potential has been tapped out. You realize I'm reading a book right now that's that's written by a a lady who chairs, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say and then I'm done. She chairs the the leadership, uh, I'm sorry, uh, business department at Harvard University. And she's the, she's the, the number one expert uh, on the leadership industry that we've had in the last uh, 15 years or whatever. And she's written a book called The End of Leadership. And in this book, she actually says everything, all that money that you spent figuring out how to be a good leader and all that money that corporations spent and all that money that churches spent and stuff, she says it's wasted money. Because she's looking at the situation and she's saying we have more dysfunctional leaders today than we've ever had at any other time. We have a group of leaders in corporations, in churches, in institutions, in politics that have had access to more leadership training than any other generation. And they're the worst group, least qualified, most messed up group of leaders maybe we've seen in our lifetime. I'm just saying. Across the board. Why? Because we've come to the end of human potential. And we're on the precipice of God unveiling divine human potential. So that out of the church, something can be released that goes beyond anything that humanity can do because we desperately need a move of God. And if the people who know the move of God relegate it to the basement, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Now, you may be like me. You may have thought that whoever, you know, speaking in tongues, that's that weird stuff. I like that New Day church, but I don't like that tongues much, business much. I get it. I totally, totally get it. And you know what? We honor you. Seriously. We honor you. I honor your journey. I don't want you to take something because I said it. I do not want that. This is your journey with God. Not mine. But if your mind is changing a little bit, if you know that there's more, but you haven't tapped into it. I'm going to tell you something. This, this bud's for you. <laughs> All the older people got it, but. I 
I'm just saying. There's no high like the most high. I'm just saying. If you want a transcendent experience, if you are hungry for God, I want to encourage you. And if you have a prayer language, but you've, you've let it go, man, engage in that thing. If you want a supernatural lifestyle, it has to be a daily thing. And there has to be passion put into it, not just this, or whatever that we do. Come on, man. Find your feelings. They're in there somewhere, even if you are white, like me. <laughs> Come on, I can't be the only one that's noticed that as an ethnic group, we're a little repressed and emotionally constipated. That's our problem, actually. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Let's stand up. We covered a lot of ground, a lot of ground I hadn't planned on covering. I hope you're okay. I hope you can hear my heart. I love you guys, every single one of you. If I said something that stepped on your toes, Shelley had a word about... <laughs> I don't know if you could hear it, but she had a word about God's going to heal your toes. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Do I have, I have instrumentalists today? Do I have any? Yeah, if we could get our team back up here. And I want to just give you a chance to respond.